Hey friends, hey. As we head toward our 200th episode, I realize Stitch Please is more than a podcast. It's an archive, a resource, a community, a place for learning, exploration, and good cheer. It's highly rated across platforms and nominated for awards. And it's always centered on Black women, girls, and femmes in sewing, and always provides a space to hear, learn from, and be inspired by Black creatives. To keep this unique project going, we need your help to create the change we want to see. Throughout September, listen to the podcast's first ever live So Black series. Recorded with a live studio audience in Atlanta, Georgia, I talk with sewing and quilting all-stars, E. Bond, Sarah Bond, Nikki Griffin, Rashida Coleman-Hale, Naomi Johnson, Sean Kimber, Bianca Springer, and Sarah Trail. These amazing conversations culminate in a most special 200th episode, but the party doesn't stop there. Enter the 200th episode giveaway with weekly prizes from AccuQuilt, including a grand prize Go Big electric cutter. It's a great chance to get your stitch together. You can enter the giveaway and listen to the podcast at blackwomenstitch.org. Share our 200th episode posts on your social media. You can also donate through our tax-deductible ActBlue site or sign up for Patreon, which is getting first access to some fun new projects in September. Join us as we celebrate 200 episodes of Stitch Please, the weekly podcast centering Black women, girls, and femmes in sewing, celebrating those who stitch, create, and liberate. Thank you. Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black lives matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth-generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation. So sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Stitch Please podcast. And like I say every week, this is a very special episode. But this one is for real, like very special episode, because we are welcoming two people who I consider podcast possibility models. I think they are creative geniuses. I think they are possessed with the kind of strong, radical love for Blackness. And that in and of itself is groundbreaking. In addition, their show, Tea with Queen and Jay, where they are two womanist race nerds talking shit over tea, dismantling white supremacist patriarchal capitalism one episode at a time. How is the reason that the Stitch Place podcast is here? They are the reason I heard their show back in October of 2018. This was one year after surviving a white supremacist terror attack. It was a lot of anniversary stuff. It was a lot of exhaustion, fatigue. And I needed something. I needed to not be in the position where I was always teaching, which is what I do at work. I needed to not be in the throes of organizing, which is its own form of exhaustion. And this show was exactly what I needed. It was two fierce, loving, creative 
advocates who thought deeply and carefully, who were deliberate in their care and prioritization of Black people, who were unapologetic and weren't trying to fit in, who were really being their full and whole selves. And that was what I needed. And that was just the permission I felt like I needed. And listening to them helped me to develop my own voice. And that is why the Stitch Please podcast is here. And so I want to say welcome and thank you so much to Tea with Queen and Jay, this fantastic podcast, and to welcome Queen and Jay here with us today. Welcome you both to the Stitch Please podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you. That was the best introduction I've ever had in my life. Right? Oh my gosh. We're going to clip that. <laughs> Listen. We're going to clip that and reuse that. That was wonderful. And yeah. like, oh my God. Just for anybody who doesn't know, Lisa speaks this way to us off camera too. Not that we've encountered a lot of not genuine people, or whatever, but the way that you talk is always so flattering. It's always so kind and generous and like, like, you know, sometimes I'm like, we've met before. <laughs> like, you know, we did this already. Every time she sees us, she's going to pour in. We need and appreciate that affirmation. So thank you so much for seeing us that way. We really appreciate it. Well, I'm so grateful to y'all. I'm grateful for all that you do. And I'm really grateful that y'all are here. We have met before. We have met in a variety of fun ways. Look at this cute picture at your pod meetup that you had back in May of Pod in Live. Pod in Live. Pod in Live NYC. We did it in... In 2017, 18, and 19. And in 2019, that was where I met y'all. And I did come to the live show. Y'all had a live show in December of 2018, which was amazing. And then you did the pot. And I was like, then they're going to do something else. I was so excited. My sister-in-law dropped me off or walked me over or whatever. And I had a notebook. I had a notebook. She's like, are you bringing a notebook to a party? And I was like, yeah, because <laughs> I've got to like learn what I need to make a podcast. And then I can also get people's autographs. So why wouldn't I bring a notebook to a party? Yes. <laughs> Who doesn't do that? That seems totally normal. <laughs> do you not bring notebooks to parties? Such an educator. I, I know, I'm such a nerd. I can't help it. And then also the really wonderful live show that y'all did as well. Just the way that you kind of give back. And at every single juncture, at every single event, y'all were y'all. Y'all were who you are. You were how you were. You let people be who and how they were. And again, I just think that kind of really powerful love is all I can say. Just that kind of connection. It really does shine through. I didn't even put any pictures up. Oh, y'all, if you're a Patreon supporter, you will see how amazing we look and you'll see these really great pictures. I didn't talk about the wonderful, as you did in 2020, you had a Juneteenth meetup. It was a party. That was so great. And the DJ was excellent. And y'all are just amazing. Thank you. We started that, I think, in 2016. I think. I think we did four of those. But yeah. That was like our first event. Yeah. Oh. yeah. The goal was at the time, nobody was doing anything Juneteenth outside of like educational events or things for like young children, street festivals, vendors kind of thing. And we wanted to have a party for millennials and Gen Z like and make it what Juneteenth is now. Like that was the goal is to make it that. So And so y'all are early adopters. See, y'all started early and now the rest of the world caught up. 
you know, story of our lives, story of our lives. What can you do? I mean, you can't help it. That's just the way things turn out. You can't help but be excellent. You just wake up and the excellence is there. Shit, you can't, what you gonna do? And what a surprise, y'all. I was at Essence. I was with my sister and, you know, we go pretty often. And I was walking through the food court on the way to the bathroom. And these two wonderful people are like, hey. And I was like, oh, wait, it's y'all. And y'all, my reaction, I'm an enthusiastic ass bitch. As y'all know, y'all listen to the show. You know how I am. You know how I am. What did you think I did when I saw the two of them sitting at a table saying hi to me? I lost it entirely. I think I spun around into two or three circles. I think I covered my whole face. and was like, oh my God, oh my God. My sister was like, what is happening here? I had to tell your sister, I was like, you know, we've met her before. This is not like the first time. Like a few times. <laughs> and my sister was like, oh yeah, I know. That's what I was thinking when I saw your reaction. I'm like, at this point, we know each other. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> well, I was happy because y'all came to Essence and I have been waiting forever for y'all to come to Essence just so I could see what you would think. That was the whole point. And that is why y'all, <laughs> I just had to see what will they think? What will they say? What is this going to be like for someone who already does a lot of work in community and cares about building Black community? And what kind of feedback would they have? And what your experience would be like? Oh, yeah. So I was excited and I was really hopeful that y'all would do an episode. So I was really glad that you did that. I was really glad. It was very, very enjoyable. So this is me like seeing them and being like, oh my gosh, look excited I am. This is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And that's me saying or thinking we have met before, Lisa. (laughs) Calm down. It's like, it's been a long time. I haven't been outside very long. Yeah, it has been a minute. It was a beautiful time. It was a beautiful time and made even more so by seeing y'all. But thinking about Essence now that, you know, you've done it, you've been, what are some of the things that like stuck out to you the most? I think on the episode, talk about how straight it seemed. You didn't see like any queer uncles. It's like, you know, you didn't see anything that kind of stood out to you, especially for a very queer forward city like New Orleans is very queer in almost any other of its iterations. Yeah, that was a thing. I think that was the main thing that kind of stick out for us because we're expecting queerness because it's like, you know, we've already romanticized New Orleans and I has already. And although Essence is its own thing, it's not like a reflection of Queens, obviously. But we already created what it was going to be in our heads. It was so gendered and binary and woman, man, it was just like so different because that's not the world that me and Jay generally navigate. I guess it's helpful for us to remember like, you know, that's mostly what they do when I, <laughs> they tell them out there. I think that I forget that. I think that I forget yes. that. Yeah, so that did stand out most for me. I felt the same way. It was shocking, especially for us who, you know, we live in New York and also generally surround ourselves with other queer people. And so, yeah, it was shocking, I would say. It was a bit jarring. I wasn't surprised, but it was jarring to, like, experience it, you know? So to be specific, I didn't see anyone who was visibly queer. Obviously, there were queer people there. I didn't see any visible representations of queerness. I did see lesbian couples, but I also didn't even see like a group of visibly lesbian women hanging out or whatever. As a New Yorker, as a Black person, I'm not used to that. I'm used to seeing queer folks somewhere, even at the quote unquote straightest of events, there's a corner of queer folks somewhere, visibly queer folks. And so that was concerning. 
And while I did not experience any overt or witness any overt anti-queerness or queerphobia, the absence and the omission felt like it was very loud. Ah, uh, yes. It was very loud. I know Big Frida was there. Janelle Monae was there. Megan Thee Stallion was there. There was queer representation mm-hmm. of sorts. Mm-hmm. But what was there just felt really like pushed to the side. And so for an event that is so black centric, black queer folks are a thing, are a huge part of our population as black folks. Mm-hmm. It was a lot to take in. I see. And I'm wondering if this has to do with Essence and the way that it has been a women's magazine and as such seems to rely on a gender binary. And I'm wondering if that might have played a role, perhaps. I also got the sense that they were trying to meet the needs of multiple constituencies, like the way they were working really hard to reach young people. I remember when I came in on the airport, they had this, this is going to be an auntie-free zone. I think y'all mentioned this in your episode as well. And I'm like, yeah. how are they going to get there? <laughs> how are you going to drop off the heroes and whatnot? Like, yeah. what are you talking about? And so it just made me wonder, like, it's also so huge. It's hard to explain. And I think you all ran into a white person at Cafe Dumont who was like, you two remind me of what Essence used to be. But you're not sure like what Essence used to be. And it used to be like so much smaller. And it was so much more like we actually ran into Lettucey at Cafe Dumont one time after her performance, which didn't start at one o'clock in the morning. Boy, I was so tired. I was so freaking tired. It kind of felt a bit more intimate. And I think that that is something that has changed as it's grown and got bigger and got more money and more responsibilities that it has to its own corporate contracts, etc. It feels like it's trying to meet the needs of lots of different people. And so I think that there are things that they're just not going to think about. There are absolutely things that they are not going to think about. And maybe that was one of them. And that's something. Yeah, it's just interesting. And then also, I imagine a tone has been set. Because if you look at like the audience, I guess, how do you create a scenario where visibly queer folks feel comfortable showing up to this huge black event? It was a lot to process. Mm -hmm. But when you mentioned the Auntie Fest thing, you want to talk about that later? Oh, yes. We talk about it right now. So I think this was a few years ago. I heard someone refer to Essence as Auntie Con. Mm-hmm. It's Auntie Con, not Comic Con, but Auntie Con. And I was like, I can definitely see that. I can absolutely see that. And I feel like as many of us, at least myself, has like aged through to Essence. I would come to Essence when I was in my late 30s and when I was in my early 40s and when I was in my late 40s. Like I came through all of those stages. Mm-hmm. And so I started to see more things like groups of men coming to just hang out because it was a place to hang out. And the festival itself, according to, I think, the new publisher or CEO of Essence has said it's not just the largest black festival. It is the largest festival in America, period, of all the festivals that there are. And so I think that means something as well. I'm not sure. And I definitely have some thoughts on the impact that it has on the city and on the residents, because I know y'all asked about that in your episode. But what was your, in terms of the flavor or the vibe in that context? Well, I know of Essence because I remember friends in our late 20s going to Essence. You know what I'm saying? Going to Essence Fest. So I of it as this thing that happened and everybody that I knew was going to go at some point. So 
I guess I became a little bit confused when it emerged or was starting to be labeled as this thing that is for older folks, right? And mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. it feels like anytime we are inclusive of older folks, then it's like, oh, that's some old shit. Uh, yes. It feels like how you said it's the largest festival, you know, is all type of people there, it's families there, whatever. There were younger women there like it was all different people there and so it just feels like anytime the elders are included in something then it's just labeled as okay this is the thing for old niggas because I feel like so many other events are coded to a certain group of people youth usually are youth coded yes very youth coded anyone else who participates if you know if older folks are there or whatever it's ancillary it's not really considered their needs are not considered or it's like okay well this is a young people thing you just happen to be here whatever so right Right. It feels like because this is intergenerational, it gets this kind of older label when from what I've seen, it feels like even the set lists and you can speak to this more than me, but it seems like people who have played at Essence, it seems like it's been a variety. Yeah. And ages, you know, over the years, it's a little bit confusing to me. And then I think when I got there and I saw this is an auntie free zone and auntie this and auntie that, it also reminded me of you and kind of us having this dialogue about the term auntie, because I know there are people who leverage it as a negative thing, but I had never really internalized how many people do that and how Mm. intense that is, because even in the saying of this is an auntie free zone, it didn't really feel tongue in cheek like right on to me at least you know it didn't really feel like hey this is where the young people are at didn't feel like that it felt like that was the point <laughs> tell you old niggas listen y'all don't come over don't come here. over here i don't necessarily think it's bad to say that this space at this festival is for younger people but i do wonder is there a way to do that without using auntie as a slur right right can you do it without the stigma can you do it without the yeah. stigma can it still have value. Right. At minimum, we at AuntieCon, should it at least at intergenerational event, can we at least avoid this being a place where ageism is a thing? Yeah. Essence know how to do that. So like I'm listening to you all talk and if we think about it for a lot of these younger people, even for me, Essence has always existed, has always been around, has always been a magazine in your house. It's always existed. So you probably do see it as some kind of older entity because you don't remember life before it even existed. It is legacy media. Yeah, exactly. And it's print media, which is Yes. For these younger people. So I think in a context of essence, not the festival, but just essence altogether as an entity, it is like a legacy. It is older. It is all of those things. But I don't think essence has done a good job from my vantage point of kind of evolving with how media exists. It hasn't done that well. So it does look like something old and archaic to younger people. Essence has existed all of this time and to my knowledge, maybe there was attempts behind the scenes or whatever, but you're just now attempting to make a younger version of Essence when I remember being Uh, younger and being like, yo, how come there's no teen Essence? I remember thinking that and feeling that. That magazine when I was younger was for older women. It wasn't for me. Eventually I grew into to their demographic but I wasn't always a target I mean my age grew Mm -hmm. into it but they were not something I hugely related to but they didn't Mm -hmm. do 
much like the festival is intergenerational because black people made it that way. I'm going to bring my kids. I'm going to bring my whatever. But I don't think that's something right. that Essence did with an intention. And now they're right. trying to do right. it. And it's like all late and it looks all clumpy and it's all like, you know, whatever. So if I was in my 20s, I am going to look at Essence like that because like, what is Essence? Right, right, right. So I, I didn't think about that till I'm hearing you guys talk about it because Essence is more than just a festival. It's like, yeah, it's an institution. It's media institution. And I think now those are the pieces. The slogan of the Stitch Please podcast is that we will help you get your stitch together. And now we're bringing it to you in a new way. The Stitch is a newsletter from Black Women's Stitch, and I am delighted to tell you about it. What do you get when you sign up for the Black Women's Stitch newsletter? You get to hear what's happening with Black Women's Stitch in the Stitch Please podcast. Events that we've had, events that are coming up, contests for prizes, live shows, social media meetups, IRL meetups, episodes of the podcast that you might have missed, as well as opportunities to learn and sew in community with other Black makers across the country and across the world. You'll learn also about some actual stitches. We will help you get your stitch together with continuing education for your sewing life. Oh my goodness, y'all, I am so excited for this newsletter. It's always things I want to tell you, you know, but how? Well, now we have the stitch. Sign up using the link in the show notes or on our website. We look forward to helping you get your stitch together soon. And I love how you said that Black people make it so. I'm thinking of one memorable time we went to Essence and we bought our mothers. And this was just a few years ago. So my mother came and then one of my sister's good friends, her mother came and it was the sweetest thing. We all had floor seats, but we weren't sitting together. So we sat the two moms together elsewhere and we were just kind of teasing and saying, okay, y'all keep your shirts down. But they're not throwing (laughs) beads in here. Mama, we've had this conversation. I need you to keep your shirt down. And these two young men, they maybe were in their, maybe in their late 30s. One of them had to go to the bathroom. They said, oh, no, ma'am, come on, we'll go. And they walked them to the bathroom and waited for them to come out and walk them back to their seats. Nobody asked them to do that. Nobody said anything. And it just really touched us because we had clearly left them to their own devices because we had better seats <laughs> elsewhere. And we was like, be here when the lights come on and we'll take you back to the Airbnb. <laughs> but like, it was that kind of thing. It's like the community activated to provide a kind of care. And I think that that is something that you really can't harness or you can't force. You know what I mean? You can't make somebody walk your mother to the bathroom because they want to look out for somebody who is elderly. You know what I mean? Did invite them to come back this year and they were like, uh-uh, once was enough. It was too hot. <laughs> no, they didn't want to come back. But there was a space for that and there should be the same kind of space on the other end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't mean to pivot, but it did have a community feel to it. Like, aside from that feeling of, like, queer omission outside, it did have, like, a lightness to it. It was like everybody was happy to be there. It was like a known thing like we're not here this weekend for shenanigans 
We're here to have a good time together. Like some of these woke meetings that I participate in. You know how like the ground rules will be like assume good intent. You know what I'm saying? Assume good intent. And it just felt like at essence, everybody that I came in, in, in um, contact with, least like basis was that we're all here to assume good intent of one another you know that's tricky as niggas that go to a lot of festivals and are in spaces where it's a lot of people that's a tricky thing to do when it's crowded it's hot there's so much for somebody who maybe doesn't like being in crowds or whatever the case may be there's so much for people to potentially be a little bit agitated about but everybody is so happy to be in this black space and i think there is something about it being woman-centric that also takes the negative edge off, perhaps. I don't know what that's mm. about. I don't know. Maybe it's not related to it. There was just a lightness about it that felt really nice. Yeah. And I think of all the times that I've gone over the last 20 years, practically, I have not seen fights. I've not seen things like that. And I think it's because people are there to, like you said, assuming good intent, having a good time. Yes, it's hot. Yes, the line is long for what are we in line for again? What are they giving out? Sunscreen. Okay, great. Sunscreen. (laughs) Or, oh, you said you got to try the Coca-Cola from the Coca-Cola. You tried the Coke from around the world. I had vanilla Coca-Cola. I had regular Coca-Cola. I think I had a diet vanilla. All delicious. I was just happy to be there. That feeling of, yes, I will try all the Coca-Colas. They have all these brand activations. It's a good time. It's like Disney yes. World. It's a good time. I enjoyed it. They had brand activations and they had like Kimberly Crenshaw's organization. The African-American Policy Forum was there. They had reproductive rights voting. They had a lot of different black girls, black women type thing. Even the AP was there. I got to fuss at them for taking off the standards for the African-American AP exam in Florida because they did that. The college board did that. And I thought that was really crappy. And I was like, why did you do that? That was crappy. And so like those kind of things because of the way that the convention center was set up toward, I guess, the north end was all the like nonprofits. And then in the middle, they had all of the corporate things. And then at the other end, that's where the beauty stuff was and all the different vendors. We hit the north. We started on the north side. That's where we got our drinks. And then we walked and it was like, oh, this is a church aisle. We skipped that. And then we... <laughs> There's a lot of those. Yeah. If church is your shit, that's the place to be. Plenty yep. of black Jesus. You know? Plenty. Yes. And I love also how the vendors were rather diverse in terms of some of their offerings. You know who else was there? I just happened to bump upon her. Is it Bernadette Peters who played Thelma from Good Times? She was there signing pictures and you could take a picture with her for like $10 and then like she would sign it. And so that was really cool. That's some Auntie Con shit. I love it. That's the same thing that happened at Comic-Con. You go, you see the last dragon be sitting there. You could take a picture of him and whatever the heck. I relate to the Auntie Conism or it being called that at Essence. And I I think someone who didn't have such a negative experience with the term auntie, I thought it was cute. You know what I'm saying? But then you get there and the language, you see, oh, people are leveraging this word in this kind of weird kind of way. But stuff like that, it's like, where else can you do that? Where else is she going to show up and do that? You know what I'm saying? That's awesome and adorable. Exactly. Exactly. And then how, Queen, you said you did not like the shirts and how she followed you to make sure as you were having a private conversation about the apparel. Because I didn't want her melanin shirts. Yeah, it was weird. It was weird. You don't like my shirts? You're supposed to say, what? And I was like, no, no, I'm going to tell the truth. (laughs) Even though you're standing here. I don't like those shirts. Shouldn't matter. It's like thousands of people here. Why do you care if I like your shirt or not? Your melanin t-shirt. You can't please everybody. And I don't know why you would track down one person to try. 
There was more than one person who didn't like that shirt because you would have been sold out. If everyone liked your damn melody shirt, <laughs> they would have been sold out. I want to do some market research really quickly. And I also need you to make me feel better about what I'm doing right now. Help me, please. <laughs> you know what was also interesting, just as another pivot to some of the critiques of the performances after the fact. And it was so funny. I was actually rather shocked that NDRE had something negative to say about Meg Thee Stallion or about Janelle Monet because all I kept hearing was, I am not my hair. I am not this skin. I am not your expectations. But she is, though. Right. I sold that lives within. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you believed this. No. Maybe you did you not believe it because Jenny believed it in her packaging. Mm-hmm. That's it. Jenny believed it in her packaging. And that song came out when the video Vixen era was. So she was saying that to say, I'm not my hair. I'm not my skin. Like, I'm not these one of these bitches. Like, I'm not. That's a good point. Because if you think about that time when that song came out, she was affirming, and it's fine for her to affirm that for herself. But if you you look at the media landscape at that time with video girls and women are making top money just to be the sexy person in a music video. You're not even singing. You don't even have in quotations. I think they have talent, but most people don't think people have talent and they're making top dollar just to shake the booty next to a rapper. Oh, I did not realize mm-hmm. I think to me, I think that was, I am not my hair. I am not my skin. I'm a soul. I'm just a soul. I am not... <laughs> But I think that's what she was doing with that. So it actually does make sense that she would. No, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I had not thought about the oppositional nature of that song. I did not realize, of course, I remember the context, but I didn't put the two and two together. I definitely just thought it as a self-love anthem and that everybody got to sing it. I did not realize, and of course that makes sense, that she would be someone who could be like, wait a minute, these people, they're not performing in the same way that I am. And they are allowed to do something that I would not be allowed to do or that I would choose not to do. No, I think that does make sense. But I think that these performances are going to age really well. I really enjoyed this one those boots are adorable like really Mm -hmm. what's not to love the boots are really cute I love that she has some meat on her bones as they Mm -hmm. say I find her extraordinary I really like Megan a lot but I actually did have to leave early because I was so tired I was like listen if y'all go call it auntie con or whatever some people want to go to sleep hello some people want to go to sleep at night and I don't have to go to sleep at 930 and that was the Sunday night there was someone in our row who we said it on our episode, but like three nights of this shit, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take it anymore. Stop playing with my emotions. Did it used to run that late? Like what has that changed or what's up with that? I think it has changed. I think the acts come on later. I think that Jill Scott and Janelle Monet were both surprises when they came on. So I think that that's a new thing they're doing. Lil Wayne was not scheduled to be on. So like that was a big surprise to see him. I was really surprised to see Jill Scott and Janelle Monet because I didn't realize that they were on. And I was just happy to see Lauren Hill because real shade, I didn't think she may or may not come. I had never seen her before. And okay. my sister had seen her a couple times. She's like... I really hope that she does the miseducation since it's really about celebrating the album, et cetera, because I have seen her do some things. And I was like, did you write that in the car on the way in? Because <laughs> it's not working. But I thought that she was great. And I think it has to do with some of the helping to pay some bills. You know, they didn't have so many corporate sponsors before. And those require, let's preview this film. Let's see this. So that all of the different acts in between the acts 
events are, you know, meant to be entertaining. There's like, you know, McDonald's giving out scholarship money, like all of these things. You know how I say that loud with McDonald's giving out? I'm like, is this like a really long church program? You know, that there were some moments when it was like, and now we will have everybody who submitted so-and-so come on stage. And, you know, they're not just doing it to meet corporate obligations. This is clearly benefiting the event or benefiting the community overall. And so that's all wonderful. But I think they might have overestimated what the audience could actually sit for. One thing that I saw that was new, and I guess maybe this was something they might have done. I think you mentioned this in 2020 when they did some kind of live streaming. And so they were live streaming some of the show on Hulu and we were seated near the sign language interpreters. So they had black sign language interpreters who were like signing the show and the songs and the music and the dance. And man, they looked so joyful. The interpreters, they got black folks to do the signing and they really looked, I don't understand sign language, but they looked very joyful and like they were doing actual sign language and not like somebody at one of those press conferences that gets up there and starts doing the robot. They were (laughs) really talented performers. And so that was something I thought was good. I forget the woman's name who signed but she was on The Circle on Netflix this past season. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, she was on that. If you like that competition show, I watch it all the time. I love it. Yeah, she was on that and she's known for like going viral. She did a really good signing of WAP when that first came out. That went viral. She was one of the signers there. Yeah, she's awesome. Oh, that's great. I didn't realize that. Oh, so that's really awesome. Now, I'd love to talk about, again, some of the other things that y'all appreciate it or not appreciate it, but like your experience, the food. And Janicia has this phrase that I can't get out of my head. Not just going, Zatarans. Why'd you bring that here? Zatarans. Denise called it sweet dinner. Sweet, sweet dinner. dinner. Yeah. What on earth is sweet dinner? Sweet dinner are sweet foods that are not dessert. Sweet foods that are not dessert. So like barbecue sauce, teriyaki sauce, anything that has either an overt or covert sweetness to it is not my shit, yo. It's not my thing. Not into it. What you're looking at right now, this is a lunch that I had at Cafe Amelie. It was really delicious. It's a shrimp and grits with some extra corn, like a corn macho or something like that. And it was so good. And also to do grits and corn really feels like you're doubling down because grits are corn. But like, I really loved it. And so this would be sweet dinner. I think those French words that you said, I'm learning. (laughs) I feel like a lot of them mean sweet aftertaste. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's possible. (laughs) This is something I would order and then eat it and be like, oh, this has like some sort of weird sweetness at the end. And also you'd have to use a spoon, which you don't love. You don't like using spoons. I don't want to eat all my meals with a spoon. I do like shrimp and grits. I don't mind some of it. I ordered this dish. I just wasn't expecting everything to be spoon food. You know what I'm saying? It was like three bowls of rice and then soupy rice and then this everything was spoon food. Because yeah, didn't you get a flight? I did. Spoon food. Flight of sweet dinner spoon food. I did it on purpose. I didn't know it was going to be sweet dinner, but I did want to try all of those French word foods that go down in New Orleans and Louisiana. And now I know for sure it's not really for me. Not your thing. Mm-mm. But this, actually, I'm curious. I do want to try that. That was delicious. Now, this is something there. My sisters love these. I don't like oysters. I just don't like them. But like these things, we're looking at some char-grilled oysters and they throw them on the fire. They throw fistfuls of salt. They burn them up. And apparently they are delicious. Did y'all have some of these as well? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had some. I like oysters in general. And so this was just like, okay, let's just do more oysters. Like, let's do it. It was a new way to eat it. We're down. Right. Because we don't do this in New York. We're near the water. So we do seafood. We do oyster. Never had them charred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're fresh. Are they raw, Queen? If they're charred, then I don't think so. They're charred. Yeah, I think they're cooked. No, these aren't raw, but the ones that we eat, those are raw? Is that what that means? They're raw and slurpy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not familiar with this kind, but it was good. We had those. My spouse and my youngest, they both like them, like oysters on the half shell. It's like, it tastes like the ocean. And I'm like, does I live for that shit? Doesn't it? It looks like really terrible. It's the texture thing. It's me. Bananas as well. I have a thing about bananas. I consider bananas violent non-foods. I hate them so much. Got it. Got it. Yeah, some people have a texture thing. I don't have a texture thing with food, but I do have to stay away from things that are non-food, like I'm watching TV and something weird is happening, slimy texture, any kind of weird, that freaks me out because I have accepted all different textures of food in my life. And if you show me something that's a weird texture that's not food and reminds me of something, then I get like just grossed out in general. So I don't know. I understand. I understand. That makes sense. The back stitch is a reinforcing stitch sewn by hand or stitched by machine. The back stitch is a return with a purpose. On the Stitch Please podcast, our new Backstitch series will recall early and or favorite episodes of the podcast. And the best news, it's hosted by you. Yes, you. Thank you, you. Do you have a favorite Stitch Please podcast episode? Let us know by leaving a voice memo on our website five minutes max let us know what episodes you love and why other people will love it too and if we use your message on the show you will receive an honoraria so remember the backstitch makes us seem stronger leave us a message so that your contribution can make the Stitch Please podcast that much stronger. You can find the link at the blackwomenstitch.org website or just click on it in the show notes for this episode. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about what y'all were up to. And again, I don't want to keep y'all long, which is the biggest lie that preachers will say. They really do want to keep you long. But I just want to, again, just thank you for what you do and thank you for your show and thank you for the teaching that you do. They have done presentations at Afros and Audios and also the way that you tell people that the market isn't saturated, that there's room for your voice. There's room for your story. Queen, can you talk a little bit about that, about like why it becomes important for us to be reminded of this? As a marginalized person anyway, you're always thinking about the deficit. You're always thinking about the scarcity. You always, on purpose, you are to think there's not enough for everyone. So you don't ask for more, right? If it's not enough, you won't require more. If it's not enough, you won't expect more. Like, that's just what you are just down your throat as a marginalized person. Just period. Just as, not even as a podcast, just period in life, right? It is really important for us to remind everyone, like, the market can never be saturated. 
separated. Language in itself is exclusionary to make you not want to do it, to make you not think that it's possible for you to be in a space. And how can it be saturated if there's enough people to listen? Doesn't make sense, but it's a part of the indoctrination of you thinking that too many already, so I guess I can't do it. So then now your voice isn't being heard. Now the story isn't being told. Something is being erased because podcasting is also, and all of this storytelling that we do, podcasting, YouTube, blogging, Facebook status, all of that stuff is a record of your existence. And if you tell people, I don't think you should, you don't say that to other professions. You don't say there's enough nurses. There's enough doctors. There's enough garbage <laughs> man. Like, no one <laughs> No, it's true. That is very true. No one does that. But when it comes to, like, creative spaces, you always want to, like, create this false idea of it's enough. It's fill. No more. We don't need any more when it's, like, it's infinite, you know? And that was literally being said when it was open, more free for independent creators to get involved, right? So that's when, as corporations started to get into it, that's when that language started to being spread. And that was right before, we've had several booms, but that was right before corporations flooded the market. Corporations showed up and started buying everything up and getting into podcasting. So people don't think of all the players in capitalism and how invested corporations are in keeping independent creators, entrepreneurs out of the space, right? So if I make you think that there's scarcity here and you shouldn't get involved, you're already going to listen to me because I've been in radio or TV for however long and you think as an independent creator that you're working your way up to being accepted into this corporate space, right? And so you're going to listen to me when I tell you, hey, I've been working in media for, you know, since the golden age and the market is fucking flooded. You know what I'm saying? Meanwhile, two years later, three years later, five years later, here comes corporations buying everything up, buying everything up, closing everything, buying, opening, closing. They want the market to be for them. So the market is not flooded. They want to control the market. So they will tell you the market is flooded until they're ready to play. Then it's like, oh, no, 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 this other thing is happening. Oh, no, 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 this other thing is happening. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of forces at work to keep individuals from playing whatever the game is. Yeah, and then if you're in the game, so let's say you're in the podcasting space, independent or in the corporate realm, it's scarce. You are less inclined to like want to change or disrupt or say this is not right or say actually it should be done like this because it's like, well, I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy that you let me in because this market is flooded anyway and you let me in. Even as an independent podcaster, you might not shoot for the stars because it's like, oh, you know, I'm just independent. It's like a cycle of that, a symptom of capitalism, but like it keeps you indoctrinated in a system that allows with the money to control everything in terms of podcasting. And you'll take whatever scrap they give you. So that will impact the deals that you make as an independent podcaster. If somebody approaches you, it'll impact the deals that you make. It'll impact how you conduct yourself when you're hired within a corporate space. It impacts that. I've seen people say, oh, well, this is how it's done and not be able to tell me why. They just showed up there and this is how it was done. And so that's what we're doing. It's like, no, you're in the space. You can say, from my experience, this is how it should be done. If you can't tell me why we've been doing the same old thing the same 
away since radio, then like, what are you doing? There's a lot of that trying to maintain the status quo. And that is a symptom and a function of maintaining the capitalist state. All of these little things work to the benefit of those on top of the financial hierarchy that we have. That is power. And people, me and Queen always say that there is no such thing as a conspiracy theory. Like all of this shit is real. White supremacy is not a conspiracy. It's not a conspiracy. People think of conspiracy theories in the sense that, oh, it's the secret thing. And then the corners of the pyramids unite. And that's where they meet. That's where they have (laughs) annual meetings in there. And then the light comes out of your eyes. Yes, no. It's all very much in our face. It's all in our face. It's happening. It's not covert. It's not a fucking secret. When you think about the actors and the writers strike right now, and it's like, yes. oh, I can't let go of any of these coins as this huge corporation who's been sucking Hollywood dry or whatever. I can't let go of this power, this money, whatever. And they're saying the quiet parts out loud. These are conversations that happen across industry. You know what I'm saying? So all of these things play into the psyche of individuals to hold us and keep the masses in check. So that whole conversation about the market being flooded so early as corporations are sitting aside watching and waiting to pounce, all of that was to make it suitable and better for them. You got me started on my podcast shit now. But listen, no, but it's facts. It's facts. My podcast bag. But anytime you see an article about the state of podcasting, you have to really be careful. And this goes for anything. I'm just talking podcast shit right now. But where is this coming from? Who sponsored this? I'll see people on LinkedIn post, oh, I'm so excited that we were covered in blah, 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 blah. Okay, you were covered because your work is so important or whatever. Like maybe it is, but oftentimes these are tools of publicity, right? So I want to publicize the work that I'm doing or I want to publicize an idea. And there are corporations who are publicizing ideas that they want to infuse in the mainstream that are not based in what's actually happening in industry, you know? Absolutely. And I think the question to ask is who benefits? If you count yourself out, if you take yourself out of the game before you give yourself a chance, exactly. who benefits from that? You are not benefiting because you're not following something that you're excited about. Don't count yourself out. Don't push yourself out because you're afraid. I mean, there is plenty of room for me, when I started this podcast, it was just like when I created Black Women Stitch, I built what I needed. I needed to know that there were other Black women, girls and femmes out in the world doing things with needle and thread, that I did not have to turn to these sources that were crafted by white people for the benefit of other white people, but told to me like, yes, you can do it too, but if it doesn't fit you, then something's wrong. None of that is the case, you know, that there absolutely is not just a history of us in this tradition, but also us being like great innovators and making things that are completely new. And to also leave something behind for those who will come next and to make sure that that door is propped wide open for more flourishing to continue beyond just what's happening right now. And I think that anything that we can do to kind of make that more of a regular practice, I think will be to the good. I really do. So I'm going to ask you one last question. 
So the slogan of the Stitch Please podcast is that we will help you get your stitch together. And so I'm going to ask each of you just for some advice to help us get our stitch together. It doesn't have to be sewing advice, obviously, but it could be. But essentially just some wise advice that you would share with our listeners to help us get our stitch together. Jake, you've already shared quite a bit. Everybody has, but I'll just let you think about it. That's the slogan. We'll help you get your stitch together. What kind of advice would you offer to our listeners to help us get our stitch together. I don't know. I'm deep in my podcast bag. I just want everybody to stop putting record scratches in their podcast. Like, stop it. You know, stop it. Two, an episode. Tops. Two. Three, if you have to, if you have like a shit ton of segments. If you have like seven, eight segments, you can give me three record scratches. Oh my God. You know what's so funny on our last essence? There were two in there and I told them to take it out. The editor, like, we don't need this. Oh, we don't do that shit. I was like, we don't need this. There was two of them and I was like, we don't, we don't need this. Stop doing it. And it's a thing for very specific podcast ears. Like people traditionally, any podcast that was not a narrative podcast, right? Like narrative meaning like we're reporting or we're telling you a story, like a storytelling kind of podcast or whatever, was not valued or not respected, right? It was so an interview podcast what they used to call chat shows, which was what me and Queen do, us talking or whatever, and maybe having segments and doing different topics. It wasn't respected. So there's a code that we understand as a language that if you've been doing a quote unquote chat show or interview podcast or these kinds of subversive renegade podcasts, you know that this is fucking remedial. Certain shit is remedial. So I've encountered producers who have worked on narrative storytelling for years and then they show up to my interview podcast and they want to put a fucking record scratch in it because they don't know that there's a code, there's a quality, there's something to this too. There's a craft at having these kinds of edited conversations that we have. These are crafted, well thought out, edited conversations. Do not put your fucking record scratch in my podcast. (laughs) It's one of those things that like... If you haven't worked in this area of podcasts that you think it's just, oh, people just turn mics on, microphones on, and it's not anything. I mean, I know people do that now. But a lot of our podcasts that were chat shows or conversational shows that came up earlier in podcasting and gained success were not just us turning the mics on, or at least are not that anymore. You know what I mean? That's my thing. I feel like a lot of newer podcasters, a record scratch is such an easy solution to like a transition or whatever. And so just to make that more relatable in life. Don't cheat your way through life with a fucking record scratch, okay? Find a way to make a transition. Figure it out. A record scratch is not the answer, okay? Everyone, give yourself in life and in podcasting two to three record scratches tops. That means that you could have put record scratches in 20 spaces, but you brought it down to two or three. It's quality content here. Quality content. That's the advice that I have. It drives me fucking nuts. That is so funny. I sure did was like, editor, take these out. Yes. I've been giving whole lectures in what I'm working on. Like, hey, scratches are to be used extremely rarely. And here's why. Here's why. (laughs) Anyway. Oh, I love it. I love it. That is excellent advice. And I will absolutely not put a record scratch anywhere in this episode. Thank you so much. Not before or after what you just said. Thank you. I know it's going to happen. It's fine. It's a lazy thing to lean on. I'm lazy at it. It is. It's like when I'm trying to advise students 
to write like enthusiastically, but no exclamation marks. Don't use exclamation marks. They are meant to be very loosely. None of this is exclamation mark. And so like that can be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, it is. Right. It is. So think about that. Like a record scratch is like an exclamation mark. Yes. Do better. Dig deeper. You can. Also, if nobody challenges it or and if they just let it go, then, you know, here you are. So it's good to challenge that. I agree. I agree. Queen, do you have any advice to help us get our stitch together? You know, since we're just going to go into our gripes. That's the rabbit. I mean, you know, I'm just follow Jay's lead. I like it. I've been doing so a lot of work this week around transphobia. So mm. stop doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's not. Stop it. You're a cis woman. It's okay. It's been being taken from you because the C, an I, and the S. Calm down. It's disappointing that you are a marginalized person and don't see how you're marginalizing someone else. Let's just stop. It's not cute. It's not becoming. It's Mm-mm. not popping. I just don't understand. Well, I do understand why, but it's just annoying that this little inkling of power that you do have as a cis black woman, you are using it in this way. Stop doing that. It's late. It's late. Stop doing it. Read a book. Listen to some podcasts. Learn something. None of y'all are biologists. The thing that always gets me about how we're all connected in that, you know, none of us are free unless all of us are free. I don't understand how we don't appreciate that. You don't get to just be a little bit racist. You don't get to be a little bit oppressive of other people because it makes you feel better or because you think you have good reason for it. That is not the way to wholeness. It's just not the way. And you're not thinking there's no abundance in that. There's no growth in that. How are you like reimagining the world or whatever the hell? How are you creating the world or the peace? We always want to find our peace. There's no peace in any of that and limited thinking and thinking that anything outside of you is just wrong. It's frustrating. So I just wanted to put that out there. It's not being transphobic. It's not cute. Multi black being cute. So I'm going to assume. <laughs> Oh, y'all, thank you so much for being here. Can you tell us where people can find you on the socials? You can find us, T with Queen and J, on Instagram and the Twitters at T with QJ. You can find our podcast wherever you listen to your famous podcast, T with Queen and J. A Woman is Race Nerd podcast, my personal socials on Instagram and Twitter at The Queen Speaks. You can find me there. You can find me on YouTube, Mix Vixen. I do a lot of the conversations we're having here. They're there also. So, yeah, um, those are the ways you can find me and us. And there's more ways you can find Jay. Jay can let you know those. You can find me there also. We're both always on the T with Queen and J social media platforms. So at T with QJ everywhere. And you can find me personally at Jenicia F. And that's J-A-N-I-C-I-A-F. And then I'm also working on Draped Domaniacs podcast. And I know that's difficult to spell, but it's Draped Domaniacs Unshackled History. And that's a podcast hosted by Michael Harriet. It is a narrative storytelling podcast. It's Black History. And we are telling untold stories, untold histories, little known histories in a really fun way. So definitely check out Domaniacs Unshackled History. Lisa, I don't know if you have a show notes because that's a difficult spelling for people who haven't heard of it. But it's Domaniacs with an X at the end. So I'm really excited about it. It's been really fun. We will put the links to all of that in the notes so that people can find your socials. People can find that really great show. People can follow you and join the YouTube channel 
channel. We will put all of that good stuff in our notes. Thank you so much, Queen and Jay, for being here today. I am so excited and hope that we have another opportunity to connect. And again, thank you so much for being here. This has been wonderful. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks so much, Lisa, for having us. This was so fun. And we're so excited about you and your podcast and your Yay. rapidly growing social media following. Okay. Sewing. Okay. Black people sewing. I'm like, people sew like that? Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, they do. I put my homegirl onto your page and she loves it. She loves everything you do. So like, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all are just the best. The best. Thank you, Lisa. You've been listening to Stitch, Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. We appreciate you joining us this week and every week for stories that center Black women, girls, and femmes in sewing. We invite you to join the Black Women Stitch Patreon community with giving levels beginning at $5 a month. Your contributions help us bring the Stitch, Please podcast to you every week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support and come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together.